to the Birth Trauma Mama podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Summers, a licensed therapist and birth trauma survivor. This is a space where we talk about what it means to experience trauma during a time that we expected to be one of the best of our lives. This stuff is dark and it's messy, but we're here to shine a light on it. We're here to hold your hand as you walk through the darkness. We're here to show you that the light exists and we're going to help you find it. So wherever you are, take a deep breath, settle in, and let's do this. Welcome back to the Birth Trauma Mama podcast. Today I have a very special guest. Jess Meyer is joining me, and I already have so much to say about you and your space. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself first before I become my typical runaway train, but I am just so thrilled that you took the time to sort of jump back into this space with me. Um, and it's it's really meaningful that you were willing to do that. So thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Hello, everyone out there. I'm Jess. My podcast was Only You, a one and done podcast. It was meant to be, I say was because it is not on the air anymore, sadly, sadly but very sadly, <laughs> a resource for parents with one child, whether by choice or by circumstance and the Instagram handle Only You Podcast, which is now Only You Community, was also created to be that sort of safe space. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jess. And again, I have so much to say about this, and we're going to get into this a little bit, but I found your space. I can't even remember how long ago it was, not long after I had entered into and created my space. And I remember having sort of a visceral reaction, like a, no, I don't want to go there yet. Like, I can't, I can't look at that given my circumstance, right? Like I refuse to admit that this, that this could be my life and this isn't what I wanted. And I, I can't look at that. And then of course I got curious and as my healing continued, and I've said this before on your podcast, like your space was the first space that allowed me to explore that my life could be okay and fulfilling with an only child, which sounds a little crazy. Like, of course my life could be fulfilling and wonderful, but no one had ever taught me that. It was always, you know, I grew up with a sibling. You're going to have a sibling. Everyone has a sibling. If you don't like that's weird or, you know, whatever the, the rhetoric is. And so your, your space like cracked open that door for me in a way that really allowed me to do the both and that allowed me to say like this really sucks that this wasn't my choice and there can be some really beautiful things about having an only child and so i was actually just talking on another podcast yesterday that i was on about how like you gave me that gift and i will forever be grateful that i'm in a position where i feel still sad about my lack of choice but also like really joyful in what our little family of three can look like. That is so sweet. Thank you. I think the page, the podcast, it became more than me. I think I was maybe a conduit, maybe a, you know, just right place, right time. I remember. So the podcast was created um, during the pandemic. That's what I thought. Yeah. It was sometime I think in the middle or end of 2020. And I remember my husband Pierce and I, we had, and like a little baby uh penny was six months old when the pandemic started and we were talking about creating a podcast and i had a few ideas 
just it a few. It wasn't this specifically. It was just that that's the one we ended up going with. Yeah. There was going to be uh, a Freaks and Geeks podcast. Oh my God, I love Freaks and Geeks. I know. I had some thoughts about um, like a farming or gardening podcast. Like it was a pandemic, right? It, I don't know. I had a lot of time. Yeah. So I, I was like, what if we did a podcast about having an only child? Because at that time, it wasn't really even a big deal for us. We had just, we had already come to terms with it together as a partnership and we were starting to tell other people and we were starting to get feedback about it. So it was very much top of mind and that's the one we went with. And so I just feel like ever since I created it and even in the aftershocks of it now that I'm not really doing it anymore, people say, a really similar version of that sentiment to me that the page, the podcast, the conversations um, opened a door for them or changed their life in some way. And I'm incredibly humbled by it. I can't believe that my work can touch people like that. But if it does, I think it says a lot more about the society that we're in because it really shouldn't be this type of conversation for us. And I think sometimes it's important to stop and take a beat and recognize that we're not always as forward as we, as we would like to be when it comes to how we treat parents and mothers specifically. We've got some some ways to go. So, so true. Could not have said it better. We have a ways to go. And I think something that I've always related to in your space and that I connected with on top of sort of the content is the way that you deliver it and you deliver it with such like fiery passion. And that is my, that piece for me too, is definitely something that even more so connected me with your space and sort of a like, take it or leave it, but this is how it is. And I, that feeling allowed me to then again, in the one and done space or the only child space allowed me to feel so confidently in not only fighting back or pushing back against societal ideas, but like my internal ones of like, how's my kid going to turn out? Like, oh, am I going to, you know, he needs a sibling and like, what? Like where am I, and where am I getting that internalized idea from? And that reflection, I think was so helpful through, through your space. Um, So yeah, I'm wondering if you could maybe share a little bit about your story and how you came to (laughs) several podcast ideas, but landed on the <laughs> the Only You podcast. It all started when I saw Freaks and Geeks for the first time. <laughs> That's um, what you talk about, yep. <laughs> so uh, I guess I'll start with my pregnancy. Um, I was pretty fortunate not to have much of a lead up to getting there. Um, we became pregnant pretty easily. It was very planned. Um, I was a obviously first time parent. So I started really feeling the effects of anxiety in the pregnancy. Um, And I think I always was an anxious person, so I wasn't surprised. And I spent a lot of my pregnancy in fear, in like crippling fear. I remember I had the, um, the miscarriage statistics site, which looking back, it's like that. (laughs) that's not normal behavior, but I would every single day just see what my likelihood would be to miscarry and it would go down every day. And that should have probably been a red flag for me to, to get help. And if anybody out there 
relates to my story at any part of this journey, I'm going to say it right at the top, like, please call your call a therapist and, and get on their waiting list. Because um, I really believe that anybody who is encountering pregnancy should have uh, some mental health support. I think this, I could have had some of this stuff caught earlier. Hmm. Um, Not so much the preeclampsia, but (laughs) mental health stuff. The mental health stuff, yeah. (laughs) Um, So I went through my uh, pregnancy and I felt anxious. I sort of normalized it in my own head. I I know mothers can be anxious and I certainly know I can. So the pregnancy was pretty easy going. Um, at the 20 week scan, we were told she was pretty small. Some things weren't developing right. Small kidneys, but nothing like huge, but a lot of little things that was sort of like, we were going to keep an eye on her. So at that point we started going in more often. Again, she was still having some growth restriction. Uh, so she was always pretty tiny, but I'm small. I'm like five, two. Um, so they weren't really worried. And I always felt like I was the most worried of anyone. My husband really laid back. The The team around me real laid back. Everything was cool. And I'm sort of in here, like in my mind, freaking out. Why isn't she growing? Why isn't she bigger? Yeah. Uh, but really trusting the doctors. So um, I believe it was my 35-week check-in. I was having weekly scans at this point for IUGR um, at my weekly check-in go in there. It's a Monday morning. Pierce is in his like outfit for work. So am I, we're both still very much going to work. I have six weeks left. Um, and, or five weeks anyway. So we go in and they take my blood pressure and it's high. It's like, it's like, just like that. Cause the week before it wasn't. And I had, it was like slowly raising, but it started low. So it was still very much in the normal range. Yeah. So I had gone to a wedding the weekend before. And I remember at that wedding, I felt like I was going to die. Like mm-hmm. I, it was really hot. It was an outdoor farm wedding. Um, and I remember I kept looking at like these rickety picnic tables that were everywhere. And I would think, if I could just lay down on that picnic table and go to sleep, I would be so happy. I'm huge. I'm hot. It's, it's July. Um, but again, like normal, that must be normal pregnancy stuff. So anyhow, we go into this appointment. My blood pressure is like crazy high. Like uh, if you know anything about blood pressure, I think it was like 210 over 110 or wow. something. So it was like Very an enormous spike. Yeah. And so they, you know, there was a lot of shuffling. They were just like, you got to go to the hospital right now. Um, and so it was just time. And I, I remember like calling into work, <laughs> can't, can't go. Um, so they rushed me to the hospital and I'm in the emergency room. And that began about five days of being um, induced. So I they were trying to manage my blood pressure while inducing me. So it was just very drawn out, very painful, very long. You know, um, if you've ever gone through preeclampsia or anything similar, they have to take your blood pressure every 15 minutes. So you're awake every 15 minutes and that's for five days. So it's like torture. 
So how would like torture people? Kind of like torture. And so looking back, I was in pretty good spirits. So I was waiting for my baby. Considering, yeah. (laughs) But uh, it took a long time of processing to recognize how truly traumatic just those five days were. Yeah. Um, So she was born on the Friday, um, late at night, and she was okay. Uh, She she was pretty small. She was four pounds, 11 ounces, but she was okay. And so that was totally cool. Uh, we spent another night there. She had to do a lot of like preemie tests. She had to do the car seat test. Yeah. Um, we did fine on all of those. She had a little bit of jaundice, but they were like, she's good. Put her next to a window. They were very lackadaisical about the whole thing. I was like, I feel like I was just dying for five days. You were sending me home on the Sunday. So yeah, you guys like, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> we're no good. Baby. The baby's here. So you're good. They took, they didn't even take my blood pressure again. I remember I asked the doctor, I was like, do you want to take my blood pressure again before we go? And he was like, no, you're good. So I went home on the Sunday and they didn't, they couldn't get Penny in until the Tuesday or something for her like first ever newborn appointment. Yeah. And by Monday night, uh, by Monday night, she had like crystals in her diaper from peeing and she wasn't really eating and she was sleeping a lot and she was really yellow. And we were like having people over, like, this is our new baby. And I look at the pictures now and I'm like, that is a sick child. So we take her into the hospital and they're like, yeah, you're going back to the children's hospital. Like, sorry, this baby's like not okay. So we take her back to the children's hospital. We spent another three weeks there, I think, maybe more. Wow. Um, between like her jaundice, which was bad. And then she had a heart arrhythmia type thing going on, which ended up being a heart defect. Mm-hmm. She she kept not breathing in her sleep. She was just too small. Mm-hmm. They were like, why did they send her home with you? <laughs> this baby is four pounds. Like she was four pounds, 11 ounces when we left. When we came back, she was four pounds, two ounces. They were like, this baby should have been in the NICU, you know, like she passed all of her tests. So it's, she wasn't technically sick, but she just wasn't ready. They yet. should have probably given a little longer to see yeah. how really she Really they were ready for us to go. <laughs> um, and then, so we're there in the hospital after a few days and I start getting these headaches. I start getting these visual things in my in my eyes I didn't have another check-in till my six-week appointment and (laughs) so I'm in there in the children's hospital and they're like yeah she's got like tubes in her she's got like all the stuff on her she's like all strapped in and we had our own room with our own bathroom and a tv we had this enormous suite which was one like silver lining to a very difficult experience yeah And so we're in there sleeping on the little couch. And I was finally sort of like, hey, mom. I called my mom because it was just me and Pierce there. We couldn't have any visitors. I don't remember why. Um, Maybe that was. Was this July 2019? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize Cal and Penny were like the exact same age. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, August 2019. Um, But for whatever reason, we couldn't have parents in. Anyway, so I called my mom and I was like, hey, I'm feeling good I might need to go to the doctor or something um but when she was like yeah you do but when it came time for me to leave her after I had called the doctor and stuff I I did not want to go I was like sobbing because this was my baby I was still like 
very postpartum. I was extremely emotional. And so I'm like sobbing, don't want to leave her. My mom drives me to the emergency room. Um, and they took my blood pressure and it was just as high as it was. <laughs> and they were like, dude, you're sick. You still have preeclampsia. Like you could have had a seizure any minute. And that children's hospital, what are you doing? And I was like, what am I supposed to be doing no one told me to look for anything or baby obviously um so they they like were threatening to admit me and I was like dude my baby's across town I cannot stay here I must leave and so they like mainlined medicine to try to get my um my stuff back down and they finally let me go and I remember like crying in my mom's arms because I missed my baby and just mm-hmm. being like, oh. so anyway, I got back to the baby. She was okay. Um, they got me on a good medication schedule. They got me one, or I had to go to the drugstore and buy myself one of those things uh, for your arm, a blood pressure monitor. And she ended up being okay. We stayed there a few more weeks. Um, I had to pump for the first six months of her life because we were doing like measured feeds. We were watching her growth. It was, you know, sort of similar to what I was doing while she was in my belly. I was like very much monitoring her growth and taking her to get weekly weight checks at the like mom group down the road. Um, And I felt incredibly unsupported by the American medical system. Not when it came to taking her to the children's hospital, they were fantastic. But when it came to the labor and delivery staff, most of which were men who delivered my babies, because again, I had a different OB every day (laughs) because I was there for five days. Um, But I really felt like they just weren't hearing me. And then when it was time for them to to send me home, they weren't preeclampsia kills. It's not something to mess around with. And they treat it like it's a woman's trouble you know a little trouble little sprinkle of challenge <laughs> one of those classic women's troubles yeah. that you know, watch it at home um so I just I think I felt a lot of anger I felt a lot of um patriarchal rage yeah. and when I finally started going to therapy like right before the pandemic mm. um and I finally started to talk about it a little bit I found that a lot of my, you know, if you sit with anger long enough, you find that it's sadness and fear. Um, and I had complex PTSD from that experience. And it took me a, a lot of therapy and a lot of time to get through that. And I sort of brought my listeners on the journey with me. I I was in therapy virtually um, because of the pandemic, but yeah. I couldn't see my friends like they were everybody missed her first Christmas like mm-hmm. I was lonely I was afraid of the pandemic mm-hmm. I was still reeling from that experience um and I just really needed a community uh so I built one and I was shocked to see that I <laughs> was not alone in some of these feelings so I think when you talk about the passion in which I speak on these issues. I think that they are within a social justice lens because I always wanted to be really careful in the same way you are 
not to say that my experience is the one mine is the one that we're fighting against because it's not it's it's a symptom of a much larger issue that I think a lot of birthing people are experiencing these days and have a really long time so I used my experience as you know a way to speak about it but I tried to be really inclusive because there are a lot of different ways that people come to the decision to have an only child or it's not a decision at all and so I, I just wanted to create space for us to be able to talk about it because for me I can just tell people I almost died I'm not doing that again and if you want me to I don't get you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, at least I ha- I feel like I have this real easy fallback. Um, but I wasn't satisfied with that. Yes. I didn't want to have to reveal that to everyone. I I felt like I don't want to have to tell this birth story. I mean, just now it was almost four years ago and I almost dropped up. It's yeah. it's tough to talk about. It's heavy. And I've done a lot of work. <laughs> Um, but I don't think myself or anybody else should have to qualify their choice with a story or, or with trauma. And I think they should be able to talk about it being a positive because for some folks, they, they wanted that and they chose it from the jump. Um, so it was really important to me to, to kind of take that trauma and turn it into something where I could find somebody else and find other people to connect with. And I ended up creating something that became a lot bigger than me and that still exists, I think, outside of me, because, again, it was sort of that conversation that hadn't been had yet. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, I know it is not easy to share and you have done so much work. And um, I think there are so many people in both of our communities that can connect and see themselves in your story and in different parts of your story, even if theirs is different. And, you know, as you've sort of stepped away a little bit from your space in the podcast, I think the thing that is pretty incredible is that you don't have to ever create another single iota of content and it will continue to have the same impact on people when they find it. And that I think speaks volumes to the way that you discuss these topics and the way that you support others through your words. Um, because I know people are, are still finding it and feeling just that warmth and support of this is an okay, this is a valid choice. And I don't need that piece. I don't need my trauma to back it up. And I feel very similarly to you with that in birth trauma. I feel like I was, you know, I have a story where I can be like, well, I get to be traumatized. Did you see my story? But that's not good enough. Right. Like, like it's very like objectively people are like, okay, yeah, sure. You can, you can be, you, you can be traumatized, but I'm going to decide that these other people like, no, it's not how trauma works. And so I really connect to that feeling of it's not good enough for me to just use that singular story to say like, this is birth trauma because it's not right? It's this wide spectrum of experiences and no one needs to give the details of their birth story to be validated in that trauma. Absolutely. And I think it's a way of thinking. It's a, it's a mental shift because when you take that same logic to other issues that are prevalent today, such as tokenism, for example, I can't be racist because my 
so-and-so is, you know, this ethnicity. That is the exact same argument that we're trying to rally against with this work. We're trying to say, no, this is an inclusive space. This is about anybody who's felt anywhere on this spectrum. We want to be an advocate for them. We are going to show up for them. So it's kind of taking that same line of thinking that I take to any other piece of social justice and bringing it to a space where I feel like we are criticized extremely hard, which is the motherhood space or the parenthood space. Being able to say, oh, you feel like you had birth trauma because you didn't get to follow your birth plan. That's fine. (laughs) And I'm still going to fight for you (laughs) and still be allowed to make decisions based on that or not, or you should be able to not have to talk about it, or you can talk about it, or you do fit, or you don't. There should be no cost of entry when we're having these types of conversations. And that's what I was always really trying to um, put forward in my work is that we are all parents of one child. I don't know how we all got here and it doesn't matter because these things are all still true. That child will be okay. And so when people find me through the various ways in which they do, usually it's through another creator who's telling their story where it resonates. So people have found me through yours because they've been through similar birth traumas. People have found me from all kinds of different spaces. And then they come to my page and the graphic says, your only child will be okay. And just like you, they message me and they're like, oh my God, literally no one has said this to me before. And in my head, it's like a pinball machine knocking back and forth saying, I need to have another kid or mine's going to be messed up. And that finally just gets a place to stop and they can be supported and they can know that child will be okay. I don't care how you got here. doesn't matter. You don't have to tell anyone. You can have these tools. So when grandma comes over and says, your child's going to be, you know, this or that, please take this content, screenshot it, open it up and read it to her. (laughs) Because Seriously. This is your freedom. This is how you can get out of this. Um, I think a lot of people, they focus on the reason, like what got them there. They focus on, oh, well, my partner and I got divorced or um, I, you know, had... Uh, secondary infertility, or there's a lot of reasons that you can get there. The reason I don't focus on those is because I believe that they should be private if you want them to be, and you don't have to qualify your reasoning with anyone. I think you should be able to share that with yourself, with your friends, with your network. But when that random lady at the grocery store, for some reason, has something to say about your only child, I want you to be able to say, no, absolutely not. And I want you to believe it. Yeah. Because um, once you do, I really feel like that's a ticket to freedom and that's a ticket to being able to own your trauma and move on from it. Yeah, I think that's so, I think that's so powerful. I mean, the phrase that you said, there should be no cost of entry. I think that is is really powerful and important. And I think for, you know, a lot of people who feel they're sort of this, especially with birth trauma from my community, I will say, I will say most people don't feel like they had a choice, regardless of it being physical or emotional, like birth trauma came in, impacted their life in a way similar to you, um, where it didn't feel like a choice. And there's there's a shift there that I have, that I've had to go through. Like there's the the grief, right? And 
what's really interesting is that people are so uncomfortable with that grief and they like even my lovely wonderful family my doctors were so uncomfortable with the experience that i had to have that my internal system was like i have to fix this right like i have to fix what happened i have to fix not being able to have any more kids that already existed in me because of the like intolerable grief of having a hysterectomy and then what happened on the outside is every all of my support systems were so uncomfortable so they would quickly be like well surrogacy is always an option And so then it just, it became this like reinforced cycle and I was off to the races, like we're doing surrogacy, we're doing all, and I didn't, it was a total trauma response. And I do think that's where your page allowed me, like once my my husband was like, "Mm, no, we are traumatized. Everyone is traumatized. Stop with just pause. And the pause gave me a moment to explore what life could look like if I only had one child. And I think that's the the sort of shift that we see a lot in our community is once we're able to, we still have the grief, but once we're able to make just a tiny bit of room for the, well, wait a second, what if it is just this? And is there any possible positive that you can gleam out of that? And then you realize there's actually a and that I think is what your space provides. And and my point being that I really appreciate that your space doesn't focus so much on the why we got there because it makes it hard, I think, for people if, if it's all about like we chose this and this is the best thing to ever happen to us always. It, it's hard for the people who don't have a choice. And I don't get that from your space, which I think is exactly what you're saying and is such an important piece. We can still empower the people who are like, this is what I want. This is what I've always wanted. This is what I chose for my life from the get. And I feel comfortable and good about it. And you have the people who are like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I'm also finding some really cool positives in your space coming together and feeling comfortable being in the same community and supporting one another. Yeah, exactly. That's all it was meant to do. It was meant to say, we are more alike than we are different. It doesn't matter how we got here because now we're here and we all have these single kids. One thing that we all have in common, though, is the um, the societal pressure to have another yes. one. It seems yes. like that's everywhere. And it's folks that come to the space who have experienced birth trauma that I try to create content the most sensitive for. Because yeah. not only, and speaking from experience, not only did you go through something horrible and it robbed you of the experience you probably always dreamed about, or at least in some way dreamed about. Not only did that happen, but now you have to deal with people who maybe don't know about it, judging you or hurting your feelings for just existing with this kid that you worked really hard to have, you know? (laughs) And that always made me so mad. Like, how dare you come at my gals (laughs) with this? You know, and so I think I took that sort of uh, indignation and I I used it to fuel me. I, I was mad and I couldn't understand how people could be so cruel to these folks who have gone through so much. I truly just I, I didn't get it. So I think that in the same way, perhaps my space opened a door for you, your space opened a door for me because the word birth trauma was never even brought up to me during after 
my experience. It was never, trauma was never even mentioned. And being in the hospital for five days leading up to it, you know, that torture that, you know, and then going to the children's hospital right after that. There were so many different times that I could have said, this is traumatizing me right now. Like I am in the moment being traumatized. This is horrible. And I feel like there's nobody there to talk to you about it. You have to try to find your way through a really complex mental health system to get access to care. I'm extremely privileged and I still had a hard time accessing care. So your page like allowed me to talk about birth trauma. And it wasn't until I really did that work that I could step into my power and into my confidence as a one and done parent. I feel like that's not the same trajectory for everyone. But for me, I had to do that first before I could really feel confident. And now I'm almost on the other side of it, where I, I'm still very much a fierce advocate, but it doesn't rattle anything up in me anymore. Because I did it. I'm done. Like I, I've made my choice. Everybody knows. And honestly, with the podcast, really everybody, everybody knows. <laughs> everybody knows. Yes. There's nothing, you know, and I feel even more sure about it every single day. Like I, I don't waver. I feel extremely confident. So I think that for me, it was therapy. It was a community. It was talking about my story. And then it was finding other people who could relate. And that kind of catapulted me to where I am today. So the fact that my page is a resource, the fact that your page is a resource, those are just a couple of different cogs in what I think is the machine that will take you through this very complex few years or maybe lifetime after you have one kid. It's just, there's a lot. There is. Let's take a quick break to hear from today's sponsor. What happens when birth trauma is your last experience? when it takes with it your ability to have more children. There is pain and there is grief that's left in its wake, not only in the things that you didn't get to have in your birth, but the things that you will never get to have moving forward. If this is something you've experienced, we have a workshop for you that talks all about this grief and this pain and this loss of not being able to have any more children after a traumatic birth. So if you're interested, you can join us on June 2nd for our virtual workshop on birth trauma and secondary infertility. You can register on my website, thebirthtraumamama.com, under workshops. I hope to see you there. You know, when you were talking, there's also the piece of when society is so focused on having more than one kid. Like, there's, there's a piece of me now that, similarly to you, kind of rages at the, like, have you seen my kid? He's incredible. Why are, why are we just like, Pat, like, I'm sorry. Like, why are we just acting like, okay, we need to add more. Cause it's not good enough. Like, have you seen this child? Have you seen what he survived? Like, he's pretty cool. And it's like this, this protective, like he's my best little friend. And you're sitting here being like, okay, when's, when's the next one coming for what purpose? Right. Like for, for who? Um, right. Yeah. I think for me, again, I only like to speak on my own experience. Um, it's really important to me to say for me, yes. because I really think everyone's journey is different. I think these pieces could be 
you know, done in different orders. I think folks can go a million different ways to find healing. Um, For me, I would say Penny, my daughter, made me brave enough to be the person I am today. She gave me the tools. She gave me the purpose. She's, you know, she didn't ask for it, but she did. So when I hear people saying, oh, you need to have another one, it's like, I'm still adjusting to the rapid, insane shift in my life of bringing a child into this world. Um, She has made me feel like brave enough to do things I wouldn't have done before, to put myself out there in ways, to make art, to make friends. Like I feel like I've really stepped into who I am and who I'm meant to be because of the confidence and because of the uh, purpose that being her mom gave me. Um, So yeah, when people start talking about having another kid, it's sort of like, I just met myself. I'm not having another kid. I'm, I'm still getting to know her and she's amazing. She's a mother. She's a warrior, by the way. So don't speak on her ever again. (laughs) I just, I feel like I, again, have been catapulted and they call it post-traumatic growth really is what it is. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure you're aware um, after you've gone through trauma, there's this period of intense growth. Um, And I would say, you know, trauma is a word not everybody can apply or will apply to their journey. But for me, um, what I went through to get this kid here, it created an entirely reborn version of myself that I'm still getting to know. So it's almost laughable for someone to say, oh, let's add another baby to this situation. It's like, I am the baby of this situation. <laughs> okay. I have been reborn and I need to be taken care of too. I love this. I love this reframe. I'm so into it. Yeah. So, yeah I don't know. There's once you're, um, I don't know. I feel really grateful to be where I am today because I'm in a place where I can really stand in my truth. I don't feel the need to explain myself to anyone. Um, I have my pre-canned phrases Sometimes I literally just say that's sexist and just move on with my life because I mean we can do the whole conversation or I can just get to it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I think you should just get to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I I just feel this incredible confidence in my decision now um where I can enjoy and savor and soak up these baby years, you know, she's almost not going to be a toddler anymore, which I'm sure you know. Um, and she still sleeps in my bed sometimes. And I'm literally just so aware. It's like, I get to experience her toddlerhood and her childhood with a soberness and a clarity of being a one and done parent that doesn't have a newborn that isn't pregnant, that doesn't have an older kid. I have this, uh, laser focus on her and, by doing, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, by working on myself and being her mom at the same time, I'm finding it really easy to be super present and to soak in all of these memories. And I just, I know that someday I'm going to look back and I'm going to be one of those moms that's like, we had so much fun. We had the greatest time. Oh, we used to go places like, you know, we used to do craft projects and I'll get to look back on right now and be like, she was killing it. And they were best friends. And what else could I possibly ask for? You're making me teary, Jess. Every time I talk to you, it's 
it's just because it's not toxic positivity it's like this beautiful recognition of the other side of the coin for me from my story it's this i have this push and pull all the time of like the the sadness and the grief but also like you are such an important reminder for me of that other side and of the fact that i get to be here and like see these moments and exactly how you put it it's just i'm not gonna try to re-say it because it was it was beautiful like just being present and knowing that you're gonna look back and be like i crushed it and we were best friends yeah i mean i think that that is the gift trauma gave me um i think when you have a near-death experience or when you you know are are put against some of your worst fears you really get the opportunity to to look at your life and to look at the grand scheme of things, knowing that I could have been robbed of the experience of raising her um, with just like a, a phone call <laughs> that I didn't make, you know, so um, I think it gave me a different view on this experience. And it really, you know, made it so that I, I have to pay attention and I have to be really cognizant because things life will give you situations that you can't control. And so you really just have to know who you are and know what you want, because those waves are going to keep coming regardless. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so important. Well, Jess, I cannot thank you enough. I'm so grateful that you came. You came out of your hiatus um, <laughs> to to talk with us. And it, it really means a lot because I know it's not so easy to to dive back into this stuff. Um, but you can find Jess on Instagram at only you community. Um, she has wonderful content that again, it's like a time capsule. It's kept there. It doesn't matter. You don't have to make anything new. And that content is incredible and has really guided so many of us to a place of really accepting and not only accepting, but feeling really good about either the choice or the situation that life has put them in with having an only child. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And for anybody out there that used to listen, just know I miss you. I miss making content for you. And uh, I'm really glad I got to be a small part of your life for a little while. So thank you. And uh, maybe we'll talk soon. episode don't forget to hit that subscribe button and please leave us a review so that other people can find this podcast and hopefully get the support and the validation that they're looking for